Morning, y'all. How we doing? Good. Some of the kids are like, y'all. Yes, that's a word, y'all. It means you all combine. You can say it. Go ahead, say y'all. See, it feels good. We should all be saying it. Um, but I hope y'all have had a good morning so far. Before we jump into today's message, can we just all pray together? Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Well, God, we thank you so much that you are here with us today. God, we thank you for what you did on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And today we celebrate that victory. Today we honor and show our gratitude for that sacrifice. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to all of us today. Speak to the littlest ones in the room and the oldest ones in the room. God, I pray that today we would get a fresh glimpse of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, many, many years ago, Frosty, for kids you don't know yet, Frosty, not the snowman, but Frosty, my husband, he booked a trip for us to go down to Queenstown, which is at the bottom of the South Island. And he didn't give me much information other than our flight info, as he was so excited that he had planned this surprise little getaway just for the two of us. And as we get into Queenstown, I followed his directions that led us to this hotel where he looked at me excitedly and said, I got us a room with a lake view. And he was so excited as we went down the hallway to find this room with the lake view. And as we opened the door and went inside, I could see that his face dropped a little bit. He walked up to those sheer curtains and pulled them back and opened up the ranch slider to step out onto this little balcony and realized this was not what he expected. This was not the view that he had paid extra for. It did not meet his expectations. And then he started to apologize to me saying, I'm sorry, it said that there was this room with this gorgeous lake view and I had no idea what to expect. I hadn't seen the photos, I didn't know, but Frosty was visibly gutted that this was not what he had paid for. This little balcony had a view but behind this massive wall of trees was the hidden lake that we had paid extra to see. This huge wall of trees blocked our view. And get this, the balcony was also tiny and it only had one chair. Just one chair and y'all, that chair was podunk, okay? Now you might not have heard that word before, but that's my like redneck hillbilly way of saying it did not look good. It was podunk, it was cheap and unimpressive and lacking all kind of charm. It's a good word, you can adopt that one too. Y'all have learned y'all and podunk. Anyways, moving on. We look across at all the other balconies and every other balcony, they've at least got two podunk chairs, but we've just got one. And so we tried to pull up the, the comfy chair that was in the room to <laughs> the edge of the window to look at our tree view that he had paid extra for. He was gutted that his expectations were not met. Now, have you ever had some unmet expectations that led to some disappointment and maybe even confusion? Now, maybe you've read an amazing book before and you've pictured in your mind what that character looks like and then you see all of a sudden the actor they've assigned to play the role in the movie and you're like, no, no, no. That is not the character I read in the book. Unmet expectations, right? Or maybe... Maybe you're someone that's dabbled in some dating apps and then you showed up to a first date expecting to meet somebody who you saw in photos online and they didn't look at, like their photo at all. Unmet expectations. Or maybe you've built up in your mind an image of your favorite celebrity and then you got to meet that celebrity in person but they were not as nice or as funny or as amazing as you thought they were. Unmet expectations. See, unmet expectations, they can lead to disappointment 
and confusion and turmoil of the heart. Because the image that you've created in your mind of this person doesn't right, line up with the reality of who they are. And then the thought that starts to take center stage in our heart is, you're not who I thought you were. Now, the original 12 disciples that were hand-selected by Jesus also lived with unmet expectations. Hey, if some of our teenagers that are youth leaders, if you want to come sit amongst the kids, that could be really helpful. But the original 12 disciples, hand-selected by Jesus, also lived with unmet expectations. See, they had this image of who the Messiah was supposed to be. And it didn't necessarily line up with the Messiah that they could see in person. Now, were they all excited to be hand-selected and chosen by this rabbi named Jesus? Yes. But did they all wrestle with a bit of unmet expectations in their heart? Yes. There were some unmet expectations in their mind about a savior that they had pictured as this victorious warrior that was going to ride in and train and lead them like an army. They had an image in their mind about a king that would look and appear strong in stature, strong in power, and strong in words. They had an image in their mind about a Messiah that was going to overthrow the Roman government and bring freedom to the Jews. But Jesus, well, he wasn't really who they were expecting. Now, today I want to talk about two specific disciples that really wrestled with some of these unmet expectations, two men that both grew frustrated with Jesus' plans and his timing, two men that both betrayed Jesus in a way, but two men that had very different fates that were the result of their response after the betrayal. So I'm calling this message the tale of two men. And we're going to center ourselves today on Matthew 26. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're camping out in that chapter today. But I'm going to start in verse 6, where we're going to be introduced to a man named Judas. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. And the disciples were indignant. Now, if you've heard that word before, you don't know what it means. It means simply they got angry or annoyed at something that seemed unfair to them. So they were indignant when they saw this, and they said, what a waste. It could have been sold for a high price and money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replies to them, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and he asked them, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, Judas looks for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Now, it's very easy for us to make Judas the villain of this whole story, and we often do. In this story, nobody wants to be compared to Judas in life, right? Nobody wants to be compared to him and his actions, but I want to challenge us today to see a different side to Judas. I want us to not just look at his actions, but I want us to understand the emotions that led to that behavior in that first place. Because in reality, I think a lot of us could identify with the emotions that Judas felt. Because up until this moment, 
Judas was likely a well-respected disciple. Now, how do I know that? Well, he was trusted with the money, y'all. If somebody was not well-respected, if somebody was not trusted, they wouldn't give him the money to look after. He was looking after the money that was funding their mission trips and their food. And he met with the group. He ate with the group. He traveled with the group. He was probably a well-respected disciple. Now, Matthew, the previous tax collector, probably would have been better at looking after the money. But for some reason, they chose Judas. So that suggests to me that up until this point, They actually probably liked the dude. They probably had nothing wrong to suspect about him because they gave him the whole money purse. But what happened? What changed for this man that led to him becoming the so-called villain of this story? Well, Judas misunderstood who Jesus truly was. In many ways, the reality of the Messiah wasn't lining up with the image that he had constructed in his mind. He wanted Jesus to do things differently according to his plans, according to his ideas, according to his goals in life. And when that didn't line up, he got disappointed. He let, it led him to get angry, and it led to this betrayal. See, Judas had an expectation on Jesus to act in a certain way in order to retain his loyalty as a disciple. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you presented God with an ultimatum like that? Here's what I mean. Maybe you've said, well, God, I'll only follow you if you heal my sickness. Because if you don't heal me or if you don't heal my mom or if you don't heal my cousin, then surely you're not real. Or God, I'll only follow you if you give me the job I want. Because surely you want what's best for me and that job is best for me. God, I'll only follow you if you bring me a spouse in a certain amount of time that I've decided will work for me. God, I'll only follow you if you tear down my enemies because I want to see justice right now in my time, not in your time. I'll only follow you if. Have you ever, like Judas, put a price on Jesus, a price for your loyalty to him? Have you ever, like Judas, had some unmet expectations when you were faced with the reality of who God is, even though it didn't line up with your preconceived notions of who God is supposed to be? You know, in what ways have you tried to make deals with God where you've said things like, God, I'll go to church if you remove all those people I don't like. Or God, I'll pay my tithes if you give me the promotion. Or God, I'll read the Bible if you could just rewrite some of what you wrote in the first place because surely you didn't mean it like that, God. Maybe you've said that before. Unmet expectations can lead to frustrations. Frustrations lead to questions. Questions lead to doubt. Doubt can lead to anger, and anger leads to betrayal. And for Judas, it did. It led him to make the ultimate betrayal of selling Jesus out for just 30 pieces of silver. He decided that because Jesus wasn't going to serve the goals that he had in life, he wanted nothing more to do with him. So he was willing to sell him out. He had a misunderstanding of God that led to a tragic misery of eternally walking away from God. Now, if we follow on in this story, in Matthew 26, we're still camped out there. We read about how Jesus sits down with the disciples for the Last Supper. Maybe you've heard of that before. This is where Jesus introduces communion. He picked up some bread and he broke it. And he showed the disciples that this represented his body that was going to be broken for them. And then he blessed a cup of wine before he shared it with the disciples, marking it as a new covenant. That means a new promise between God and people. And it represented the blood that he was going to spill as a sacrifice for all of humanity, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, here's the crazy thing. When they sat down for this last supper, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. 
yet he still invited him into this moment. See, he still showed incredible grace and compassion on a man whose heart was in turmoil. He still gave Judas a moment and an opportunity to receive him fully before the betrayal ever took place. Now, we'll come back to this man in a moment, but we're now introduced to the next disciple that also turns his back on Jesus. You see, after they had this dinner together, they start walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the way, Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Peter. And in this conversation with Peter, he lets Peter know, hey, by the way, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter doesn't want to believe it because Peter's like, no, Jesus, I am with you even till death. I will never deny you. I will never say that. And he, he has no plans to sell him out, unlike Judas, who did have plans to. Peter didn't have plans to. But Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And the name Gethsemane, it's made up of these two Hebrew Aramaic words, Gat Shemini, which literally means olive press. And in every way, in this moment where Jesus is in the garden praying, up until the moment where he's going to be arrested and crucified, he's literally being pressed. The life is being pressed out of him. He is so overwhelmed with so much anguish about what is to come that it says he was sweating blood. It was Jesus's darkest hour where he anticipated the pain of being separated from the Father. He understood the isolation and abandonment that was yet to come on the cross. Yet even though he saw all of that, he said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And in Hebrews 12 too, we read, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy did he see that could lead him to endure such pain. It was the most agonizing, painful, brutal death. So what joy did he see to make him willingly go along with this plan? What joy empowered him to be crucified? You, he saw you on the other side of that cross. He saw you as he was being pressed in that olive grove. He saw you as he was sweating drops of blood. He saw you. Even when this group of men approached with Judas, armed with clubs and swords, ready to arrest him, he willingly went along with that plan because of you. Now in Matthew 26, we're going to skip down to verse 51 where it says, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and he struck the high priest's slave, cutting off this man's ear. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Do you, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And then he says to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with me, come at me with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was teaching there every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. And then at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now from the other gospels, if you read the other gospels, you'll figure out that the man who cut off the other man's ear, it was Peter. 
Peter's the one that pulled out the sword to cut off the man's ear. Peter was a feisty disciple. He was ready to fight for Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I'm your boy. I got you. I'm going to protect you in this moment. He thought he was protecting Jesus. He thought he was prepared to be a soldier in the Messiah's army. Peter chose to carry a sword when Jesus never asked him to. Peter believed that he in his own human strength could actually protect the Son of God in this moment. You see, in this tale of two men, Judas chose to sell him out, and Peter chose to fight. Now, you might look at one as an act of betrayal and the other as an act of protection. However, both are actually acts of disobedience. Both are acts of defiance to God's will and God's timing. See, both of these men attempted to take matters into their own hands when they didn't trust God's plan and they didn't trust God's timing because they were ways that they just didn't fully understand. It was ways of Jesus that didn't make sense to them because it didn't line up with the Messiah they were expecting. And then later on in the story, we read that Peter does, in fact, deny even knowing Jesus three times. He pretends like he was never with him. Even still, both of these men were loved by Jesus and had an opportunity to repent. See, he knew how all of this was going to play out. He knew Judas would betray him and sell him out. And he knew that Peter was going to cut off that man's ear and try to protect him and then pretend like he didn't even know him. He knew all of that, yet he still chose to let both of them sit at the table at the Last Supper. Isn't that an incredible show of God's grace? He didn't deny the bread or the wine, what we now know as communion, from either of these men. In his final hours, he showed both of them grace, compassion, and love. You know, we often call Judas the betrayer, but if you think about it, Peter betrayed him in a way too. Because one definition of betrayal is simply this, to not be loyal to someone who believes you are loyal. That was both of them. They chose to not be loyal to someone who believed they were loyal. In a moment of weakness, they both chose not to be loyal to the rabbi that they had been in ministry with for years. So why is Judas the true villain of this story? And then Peter is like our ultimate comeback kid. I don't know if that's a saying here, but it is in the States. But Peter's the comeback kid, and Judas, he's become the villain. Well, it's because of their responses following the betrayal. Although both men were disloyal to Jesus, in his darkest hours, they responded to their actions of betrayal in completely different ways. And because of this, they had completely different fates and different eternities. Now, why have I chosen to highlight these two men on Easter Friday? Well, it's because this tale of two men, it's really a tale of us. It's a tale of you. Because we all have a little bit of Judas and a little bit of Peter inside each of us. Meaning we've all had moments where we've been disloyal to Jesus. We've all had moments where we've had to choose between trusting in God's timing or taking matters into our own hands. We've all had moments of doubt when it comes to God simply because our formed expectations of him might not line up with the reality of him. We've all been tempted to give up on God when he didn't conform to our agenda or our ideologies. We've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. But the cross changed everything. LJ, you can join me on keys if you want. The cross that Jesus endured, not just for us, but instead of us, is what leads us to call this day of his crucifixion Good Friday. You see, despite our wicked behavior, despite how we've fallen short, he's still a good God.
who chose to make a way for us, each of us, to be made new, to be made righteous in the eyes of God, and to be reunited with a father that is embracing a lost child. The cross, it was an invitation from Jesus to lay down all of our expectations, to lay down all of our mistakes, and to choose him again, moving forward as a loyal, devoted disciple. You see, what happens in this tale of two men is one man ran and another man repented. One man ran and another man repented. Kids, if you don't know what repented mean, it means he chose to ask for forgiveness. He realized he was wrong. Somebody said the difference wasn't the severity of the betrayal, but rather how they responded to Jesus after they had betrayed him. Because Judas, after realizing what he had done, he chose to run and he let guilt consume him. And the guilt he faced for his betrayal was so unbearable that Judas chose to take his own life before Jesus could ever hang on that cross and take our place. Again, he took matters into his own hands and he gave up on God's timing. He was frustrated and confused and his own misunderstandings of who Jesus was led him to a tragic death, a death that he chose. He chose to run and let guilt consume him. He chose eternal death and separation from a God who loved him. But another disciple, he chose to repent and let grace cover him. You see another disloyal disciple owned up to his betrayal after the crucifixion. And there's this moment in scripture, if you read on, where Jesus gives Peter three opportunities to confess his love to him again, to make up for the three times that he denied ever knowing him. He gave him those three moments to say, yes, Jesus, I'm here for you, I'm so sorry. Three moments where essentially he was repenting. And when he did that, he was choosing eternal life and a relationship with a God who loved him. And when Peter did that, he was essentially laying down his sword laying down his expectations in order to embrace the goodness of a God who brought him salvation. Now he was still gonna fight for God, but it was gonna be a spiritual fight for souls, no longer a physical fight against worldly oppressive rulers. It's the tale of two men. When faced with the reality of who Jesus is, one ran and one repented. One man refused to embrace a God that didn't look like what he thought he would look like. And another man received God in his fullness. What kind of disciple are you? How will you respond to the cross today? You see, on this Good Friday, will you refuse his sacrifice because he's not who you thought he was supposed to be based on your mental image of God, an image that you've constructed based on your own worldview and your personal circumstances or Will you be someone who receives the gift of salvation and learns to embrace the goodness of God and the fullness of God, understanding that knowing his character and his time and his plans will all make sense in the end. Judas chose death, Peter chose life. Judas chose condemnation, Peter chose forgiveness. Judas chose pride, Peter chose humility what will you choose? Because the cross, it has the power to change everything if you choose to accept it. 
Peter, that feisty disciple who cut off a man's ear because he was ready to fight for Jesus, becomes the repentant disciple who Jesus used to build his church. He's the ultimate comeback kid, and you can be too. You know, you can read two different moments where there's words spoken about these two men and the words spoken about Judas in Matthew 26, 24 was, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Ooh, that's harsh. But then what was said about Peter in Matthew 16, 18, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Yet both men had moments where they stumbled over unmet expectations. But what mattered in the end was how they responded after their fall. We've all got a bit of Judas and a bit of Peter in us. We've all had expectations of who God is supposed to be or what he's supposed to do or how he's supposed to respond. We've probably all been in positions where we try to take things into our own hands because we didn't think God was moving fast enough. Or we've probably all had moments of doubt and frustration. We've probably all put a price on our loyalty at some point in the journey. So today on this Good Friday, I just wanna represent to you the cross because the agony of the cross and the separation that Jesus went through, the separation from the Father, he did that so that you would never have to. He hung on that cross and took your place so that you would never have to face that death and eternal separation from the Father. In his darkest hours, Jesus chose to not forsake you and not to leave you. And that means when we go through our own dark hours, when we go through our own battles and our own frustrations, we can know with confidence that Jesus will never leave us. He will never forsake us if we choose to follow him and trust him in his timing. But how do we do that? In a moment of pain and agony and doubt and confusion, how do you trust a good God with plans that maybe you don't yet understand? Well, I wanna read to you the words written by David. In Psalm 22, David was once a shepherd boy who became a great king, but he faced many battles. And we can read about the emotions that David had throughout the Psalms. But this Psalm, Psalm 22, it shows us that God knows the pain and the emotions of his people. How do I know that? Well, the feelings and the pain of David in these early verses is actually paralleled by the feelings and the pain of Jesus on the cross. But partway through the Psalm, we see David lay his emotions aside. We see David get this shift in perspective where all of a sudden his posture turns to one of praise. And he decides he's gonna praise through his pain. He decides he's gonna declare truth even in a moment where he's confused. And in verse 22, David starts to say this, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him for the royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. David knew in a moment of pain 
And in a moment of frustration and doubt, he needed to change his posture to one of praise and to declare truth over his situation, to remind himself about the goodness and the character of God. And on this Easter Friday, you need to know that the cross, it's for everyone. When Jesus died on that cross, not just for you, but instead of you, meaning he took your place, he underwent the most agonizing separation from the Father so that you and I would never have to. He prays through his pain, just like David did. And because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And remember what that joy is? When Jesus hung on that cross, he had joy because he saw you on the other side of it. He saw you being reunited with him. He saw you living an eternal life. He saw you living and experiencing full freedom. He saw you living out who you were created to be. He saw you. So this year, will you choose him or choose him again? Because the tale of two men is really the tale of you. Their stories show us what our stories can be. One ran, one repented. See, we can either refuse the truth of Jesus or we can receive it. And so as I close out this message today, I actually wanna give everyone here an opportunity to actually receive the victory of the cross. Whether it's for the first time in your life or maybe for the hundredth time, maybe you've been following Jesus for years, but this is a day where you could take a moment to pause and to renew your vows to God. Where you could lay down your sword that you've been fighting with. Where you could lay down your expectations, lay down your frustrations and your doubts and allow God to show you again who he truly is. I wanna invite everyone in this room to not ignore this moment where we invite people to know Jesus because a lot of us in this room, we need to renew our vows to God in this moment because we've allowed frustration to build up over the years. But today on Easter Friday, you could choose the pathway that Peter chose, which was a pathway of repentance. It was a pathway of humility. It was a pathway towards a great future where God was gonna use him to build his church. God wants to use you no matter what you've done in the past, no matter how you've turned your back on Jesus before, he wants to use you to build this kingdom here on earth. But you've gotta lay down your sword. You've gotta lay down your expectations and choose the reality of who Jesus is. So we're gonna take a moment together. And I invite you, if you wanna to respond to Jesus for the first time or just for a fresh time today, to do one of two things. If you want to, you could kneel where you are to show that you're truly humble and that you truly want forgiveness. You can kneel in your row or in the aisle. It's up to you, nobody's looking. It's not about everybody else. This is just between you and Jesus. Or if you're not physically able to do that, you could just lift your hands to God as an act of surrender, opening your hands to God to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that I've walked away from you. I'm sorry for putting these perceptions and expectations on you that I should have never put on you before. So if you wanna respond to Jesus fresh today, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, I invite you to do one of those things right now as we're all gonna bow our heads in this room. We're all gonna close our eyes. We're all gonna take a moment to pause. Kids, you're gonna join us in that too. Kids, could you please join us in bowing your heads and closing your eyes as we pray? If you wanna kneel, you can kneel. If you wanna lift your hands, lift your hands and surrender. As I pray this prayer over us, say, dear Jesus, 
you might not be who I thought you would be, but you're actually everything I need. You are enough, just as you are. I give you my devotion with no strings attached, no ultimatums. I'm not asking for anything in exchange for my loyalty, God. I'm sorry if I ever did. Today, I lay down those expectations. I lay down those frustrations and those doubts. I receive your gift of salvation. I choose to repent and turn from my old life and previous misunderstandings. I choose to embrace the new life you offer me today. God, I trust your timing. Say that again, God, I trust your timing. I trust your plans. I know that you're good despite whatever battle I'm facing. I will praise you even when I'm in pain because I know, God, you understand my pain. I know you understand me, but God, would you help me to better understand you, the real you, the real God, not the one that I had previously imagined or constructed based on feelings. But today, I want to know the truth of who you are. Be my Lord and Messiah. Be my Savior. Thank you for what you did on that cross. Amen.